Our scripture lesson today comes from a story that Jesus told about what the kingdom of God is like. Let's share in God's good word together. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited. Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. For better or worse, we will become the stories we give our attention to. You also are living a story right now. How will it end? What are you paying attention to? God is calling everyone. God is calling you. Supper is ready. God has set the table. You are invited. Will you come to the table? It's not about whether you've been bad or good. It's all about what God has prepared for all of his children. Will you come? Or are you distracted? Choose wisely. Jesus tells a story that the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor. And you are invited to come and feast at the table to honor him. Is there anything more important in your life than showing up for Jesus and his people? Choose wisely. Would you rather have a life with the best job or a life with the best friend? Which are you choosing today? Choose wisely. We form our habits and then our habits form us. Today, I'm going to share with you a daily habit that can transform your life, really. And I'm also going to reveal a weekly habit that might just save all of us. So let's get started. We're in this sermon series, Surviving the Pandemic, Ancient Practices for a New Normal. And I want to share with you some ancient spiritual wisdom that can become modern common sense. These spiritual practices that we find in the Bible and that the Christian church has handed down for thousands and thousands of years are actually common sense if we'll actually put them into practice. It's wonderful. But I'll never forget something that a friend of mine, church member, Ryan Atwell, said to me. He said, Mark, while it might be common sense, it is not yet common practice. And that is a truth bomb. So many things in our life that we know should be common sense or even know is common sense. It's not common practice. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. So, friends, you share some wisdom with me. You never know when it's going to show up in a sermon. So there it is. While it might be common sense, it is not yet common practice. And that's the way it is with so much of the Christian life. And so I want to catch us all up and remember together what we learned last week. And that is this, that we all become our habits Will you say that with me? We all become our habits, and our habits are not neutral. And so we can either choose Christian habits modeled after the life of Jesus 
and, and receive all the fruits that come from that. Or we can simply fall into habits that someone else chooses for us or some algorithm chooses for us. Jesus is the better way. So last week we looked at this. To try a new daily habit of kneeling prayer three times a day. First thing in the morning when you wake up, then around noon or, or lunchtime, or if you can't kneel, maybe just walk to a window and you remember that God is with you and you reset your day. And then, of course, before you go to bed. And if you're like me, if you just crawl in bed, you fall asleep. But if you get on your knees and pray before you get in bed, um, there's enough discomfort to keep you awake long enough to say your prayers, even if it's just, Lord, thank you for another day. So that's the daily habit. The weekly habit we looked at was this. Try a weekly habit of a conversation with a friend for an hour and always share this last part. Is there anything you aren't telling me? Is there anything you aren't telling me? Because we all need at least one friend in our life where we can share really who we are, that they know the good, the bad, the ugly, the joys that we share and the things that we're reticent to share that we really need to share and confess to another person. Because there's real power in that. There's real healing there. It is the wisdom and the grace of the 12-step groups. And so here's the thing, friends. This habit cultivates the kind of life where you know and are known by those closest to you. This conversation that we talked about last week uh, briefly is not just for anybody. It really is about those closest to you. You need to be very careful about who you share your life with. Um, I hope you will. But we have to have some wisdom around that. So, really what we're talking about is a rule of life. Uh, the church has known a rule of life, or a common rule, uh, since the time of St. Augustine and the time of St. Benedict. And they have been carried on from then until now. And a rule of life is the way that we get our hands on our habits. Our habits will just rule us and take over our life if we don't start to manage them. And a rule of life, or these habits, are a way that we can do that. These habits are designed to help us spend our days for the sake of others rather than just ourselves. Left, left to our own devices, we often just become hedonist where we live for pleasure. We do what feels good. We get up when we want to. We go to bed when we got to. We eat what we want to. We, you know, watch what we want to. We just do whatever we want. And what we find is that actually hurts us. It makes us isolated, afraid, and alone. So, there's a better way, and I want to share it with you. And that is this, that Christianity isn't simply a belief. Christianity is a lifestyle, a way of being in the world that is simple, nonviolent, shared, and loving. That's what Father Richard Rohr says. He says, however, we made it into an established religion and avoided the lifestyle change itself. Friends, Christianity is not a one-word prayer. Christianity is not simply a belief system. Christianity is a way of life. It's something we do in community with God and one another. That's the way Jesus did it. When Jesus came to earth, he came and worked with 12 friends, with big masses of people, and with three very close, close friends. Richard Rohr continues, We could be warlike, greedy, racist, selfish, and vain throughout most of Christian history and still somehow believe that Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior or continue in good standing to receive the sacraments. The world has no time for such silliness anymore. The suffering on earth is too great. 
The suffering on earth is too great for us not to live into our calling, to not be the people that God has called us to be. It is our time to live in love and joy and peace and to pray for those who persecute us and to bless those who would malign us and to be the light of the world. It is our time now. Christianity is not something we play with or pretend. It's something we do, we live into in community. But it takes our best efforts. So I want to share with you a new way of life, a new daily way of life. And that is that the table is where life happens. You know this instinctively. It's where we grow up. It's where we learn the stories of our families. It's where we learn the stories of our faith. It's what we do every time we gather as the people of God. Every time we gather, we come to the table. It's what Jesus did. It's what we do. It's what God modeled before us. And it's what we do again today. Now, this is hard for me. Breakfast easily gets sacrificed on the altar of my nervousness about being present for someone or being on time with some project. The last thing I want to do when I finally do get started in my workflow is to stop for lunch. Just about when I get to the starving moment at 5.30 in the evening and I'm ready to grab a bite or head home, it seems like the whole world remembers something that they need from me on their drive home from work. So I stay and listen because the requests are important. They are. They do matter. And getting home on time for dinner seems like a quaint tradition of a distant generation that didn't have email or cell phones. I'm also at year 34 of that kind of work life and it is no longer sustainable. Truthfully, I wish I didn't need food, and sometimes I secretly fast, not because I'm spiritual, but because I want to prove to my body to get in line with what I want. Maybe you can relate, or maybe I just overshared. But in any case, I think you get the point. Because we are at war with our culture. Our culture says that busyness is king. Our culture puts busy schedules at the center of life, not the table, and then tries to fit meals in and around them. That what you do is most important in terms of your work life, that's what the world tells you, and you can eat when you're finished. You can eat when it's convenient. You can eat around everybody else's schedule. But that's not the way Jesus did it. You and I, we're created in the image of God, and God rested every seven days, and God had meals with his friends. Friends, you're a child of God, created in the image of God. You are not a machine. We are not machines. Say that with me. I know it sounds silly. Say with me. We are not machines. We're not supposed to live this way. For thousands of years, Christians have placed the table, not their work, at the center of life. For thousands of years, the nourishment came at the table. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins. When you're at the farm, it is around the table that life happens. Where you learn who you are and whose you are. It's at the table that your family history comes to life. This is the table in our home. It's tiny. It's just Chantel and I now. But this table was my grandmother's on my dad's side. So every time we sit, there are these tiny little chairs. My grandmother was a tiny little woman. But we, we sit there and we, we talk and we watch the birds and we watch the squirrels and we look into the backyard and we begin our day together when we're at our best. And I want to recommend that to you, that perhaps as a family, 
maybe dinner is too chaotic with soccer practices and all the other things that kind of blend in. So maybe breakfast is the time that you start your day. Maybe that's your one meal together. It can work for a lot of families. You see, we are children of God designed to eat regularly with others. It reminds us that we are dependent and communal. We belong to God and one another. And I just wonder, how many meals have you missed with your family? Or with your faith family? It's an important question, friends. We are made to have a rhythm of eating and depending and working together and preparing together and cleaning up together and working together to remind ourselves that we belong to God and one another. So, here are three things um, about eating together. The need to eat reveals three things. One, our dependence on God. God will send manna from heaven. God sends the rain. God sends the food. The second thing is, just like a camp, our dependence on one another. You know, when I eat a meal, I don't prepare it almost ever. Chantel takes great care of me, and we have wonderful friends uh, that feed us and family that feed us. I'm a terrible cook, and I'm terrible at it. Uh, I can peel a banana, but that's about it. So here's the thing. It reminds me every time I come to a meal that I'm really fully dependent on whoever is preparing it. And I'm grateful. It makes me grateful. And, And here's the other thing. I know that our life is really good when our dining room table looks like this. And it does. It looks just like this. Chantel took that photo today. And so I want to say thank you to her. She makes a beautiful table. And when our life looks like this, it's going so well. So well. But in truth, it doesn't always look like that. I know that our life is about to fall apart when that beautiful table begins to fill up with bills or mail or laundry or homework, or boxes, or trash. That's not good. The table is the center of life. It brings life to your family. It brings life to community. And so we treat tables with sacred respect. Behind me is a table of sacred respect. It transforms ordinary juice and bread into the very sustenance of life. It's something what we give our life to and receive life from. The table is the center of who we are and how we learn who we are. And also reminds us about our dependence on all of creation. I want you to think about this for a moment. There's nothing that you eat. There's not a single bite that you take that something hasn't died for you to live. Justin Early puts it this way. Every single bite signifies a moment when something died to give you life. Not to scare the little children. Eggs, grains, fruit, steak. I never had it put so plainly as uh, a woman in my former church. Um, They were ranchers, and she was an excellent cook. And her grandson looked at her, and and he said, Grandma, I want to thank you so much for this delicious dead cow. That's just how he put it. He understood on the ranch in a way that many of us don't who go to supermarkets that what he was eating gave its life that he might live. And he enjoyed it. So, we thank God. We thank community. We thank creation for our ability to eat.
The daily habit of eating at least one meal with others rearranges our priorities around God's communal table and acknowledges that we are made for one another. Not to be alone, but, be, but to be together. To depend on one another. To live and love together. Friends, more Americans eat alone today than ever before. And think about that. We've got more food, we've got transportation, and more Americans are eating alone than ever before. We can do better. We can bless one another. We can invite people to our table. We can invite people, co-workers, to go to lunch at a certain time. Um, choose a different co-worker each day. There's lots of ways to eat together in community, and it's important. I love the way Christine Pohl puts it. She says this, How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. How we live together. Jesus' commandment, love one another. Love one another. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. Many of the people that have come to faith that I know have come to faith through a family by simply being invited to dinner, invited to have a piece of pizza, Uh, As you know, if you've ever been to a United Methodist Youth Fellowship group, we have pizza. It's what we do. You come to youth, you get a piece of pizza. Your friend can come. It's just the way it is. It's a beautiful thing. I want to invite you to be intentional about eating one meal a day with someone else. And I know that maybe you're single or uh, you live alone and you don't know how to do that. I've had some really wonderful people decide to go and have a meal at, a, at the same counter, at, at the same restaurant, you know, and, and they got to know the servers and, and the waiters and the other people that, that went to the cafe that they went to, and they developed community there. So it's not a one-size-fit-all. Do it the way that makes sense for you. Secondly, I want to really invite you to think about a new weekly habit, and this is super important in this season of life. Now, When Jesus told that parable about the kingdom of God and the banquet, he was letting us know a truth, that we become the stories that we consume. So choose wisely. We're all in that story somewhere, friends. And so the stories that you let in your mind, the stories that you tell your children, the stories that you receive in the news media, on Netflix, and the movie house, or however you choose to do it, all of it influences who you are and who you're becoming. And the most important story, of course, is the one in the Bible. That the Bible is a story of how God is saving us, how God loves all of his children, and how God came from heaven to earth that you might know him and might live in him and live forever with all of God's children. But here's a big change in our culture in the last 10 years. Unlike books where we get to choose what stories we pull down and read, screens now send stories to us whether we want them or not. Our smartphones, Netflix, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, they push stories to you without your consent, without asking you questions, without ever asking, is it good for you? Does it helpful? Will it make you depressed? Will it lighten your load? Will it give you a better day? Will it inform you? Will it scare you to death? Will it make you depressed and pull your head under the covers and under the pillow? The stories that we receive make us, and we have to find ourselves in God's greater story. So here's the thing. 
Your friend may say, watch this or do that. No, no, no. You can't watch or listen to everything that everyone else is listening to or watching. You have to choose wisely. And that's one of the great gifts my father uh, gave me. He, He wasn't in my business growing up much, but if there was ever anything dark or disturbing, uh, you know, on the television or at the movie, he was just like, no, like that, you don't want that in your life. You don't want that to mess with your life. And, and over, you know, 25 years of ministry now, I've counseled so many people that when we begin talking, the sorts of things that they've allowed in their life and allowed in their mind, it, it was no wonder that they were struggling because it was not light. It was darkness, particularly in this season. Movies and shows during October are terrible. Just turn it off, friends. Take a walk in the sunshine. Choose content that leads to these three things. Justice, beauty, and community. When you're looking for content, looking for things to bring into your soul, because that's what you're doing, look for things about God's justice, beauty, and community. Now, when we talk about justice, it means looking for stories that make us tear up, over the way that the world is broken and gives us hope for the redemption of the world. When the Bible talks about justice, it's talking about something way bigger than what government should do about crime. Justice in the Bible, actually, is much more than policing. It is shalom with nothing missing, nothing broken. The world as the world was meant to be in the beginning. Peace, harmony, joy, enough food for everyone. Healthy, whole people blessing one another. The kingdom of God come to earth. That is the justice of God. Justice for everyone. Another way to to get at this is to look for beauty and to look for things in community. And so a great way to help you make good decisions is to watch your media with someone else. Um, It'd be really healthy if you did your best not to watch any media on your phone. If you actually watched it on a corporate or communal device, a large TV screen uh, or a computer, so that when you're making decisions about what you're putting into your soul, you're actually doing that with at least one other person and hopefully someone who has some sense. That would be great. So watch media with someone else. We are more discerning when we choose together. Imagine this. Would you watch what you watched this week if you were watching it with your mom? It's a pretty good question. Would you watch what you were watching if you watched it with your children? Would you watch what you watched this week if you were watching it with your spouse or someone that you respected? That's an important question. Another way that might help you is this. Turn off autoplay and read your feed. You know that thing on Netflix where it just starts going? You don't even have time to process the last episode. Um, You're watching it and it says, this is going to start in three, two. And next thing you know, you're just being, you know, inundated with more and more and more information. Just turn that off. Turn off your notifications. You get to choose what you put in your soul. You do. It's important. And you can do it. You can say no to other people trying to influence your soul. Let God do that. Let God remind you that you are his and fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are good. You are very good in his image. So, as you read your feed, I wonder what YouTube predicts for you when it says, hey, we predict that you would like this sort of stuff. When you look at that, do you go, oh, no? Or do you go, great, yes, I think, I think that fits me very well. 
What does your Instagram feed say that you like? These are pretty good ways to know the condition of your soul. It really is. And so I recommend those things to you. Watch things with other people. Choose what you watch with other people. Choose those things on the basis of justice and beauty and community. And so our action steps for this week, friends. I'm taking last week and this week and putting them together so we can start to live into this common rule together as a community. So on the daily side, kneeling prayer three times a day and one meal with others. And I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm being honest here. This is a struggle for me. Last night, um, during, we record this on Wednesday. So last night on Tuesday, uh, during the presidential debate, um, I knew that that would be difficult for me to watch. And so rather than that, I decided uh, that Chantel and I would go take my mom to dinner. It's been sort of a rough week for my folks. And so I cannot tell you what a blessing that was. But I can also tell you, I probably wouldn't have done that if I wasn't preaching about eating a meal with someone that day because I didn't eat breakfast with anybody and I didn't eat lunch that day with anybody and I didn't want to be a hypocrite up here before you today. So I went and took my mom to dinner and it was lovely. We had a great time and I missed almost all of the debate, which was awesome, I hear. I just caught a few terrible things at the end, uh, which I wish I hadn't even done that. So here's, here's the deal. Choose wisely what you put in your soul and receive peace and joy and kindness and happiness and these things. So, uh, now, before I go further, I'm not saying that we're going to withdraw from the world completely. And so I do think it's important that we know what's going on in the world. And so uh, later that night when Chantel and I got home, we sort of debriefed uh, what was going on in the world together. We watched CNN and then we watched and we went back and forth one to the other. And you know what? It seemed like those two uh, reporters were seeing two completely different events. Imagine that. Two very, very different worlds. And so it's important that you don't just get your information from one source because you get to choose what you put in your soul and you want to make sure that you're doing that soberly. So that's the daily. On the weekly side, have a one-hour conversation with a friend. That's good for your soul. We talked about that last week. And choose four hours of wise media content a week. Now, I know that I'm all up in your business. There's nothing sacred or magical about four hours. But I would ask you to do this. Do a time audit. Look at your screen time for the week. And then look what's healthy. And choose with another person what you're going to watch next week. If you did 30 minutes a day, that's only three and a half hours. But it's really important that you know that what's coming into you is forming you. Choose wisely. Because Jesus loves you and he wants what's best for you. Place yourself in his story and be made new. Amen? Amen. And now if you join with me in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples thousands of years ago and that we recite each and every week here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.